America's original and oldest heritage pack company, Duluth Pack, hosts a podcast led by CEO Tom Sega. Real stories with real people who we admire, plus outdoor industry conversations, business discussions, entrepreneurial advice, and more. Now enjoy this week's episode of Leader of the Pack. Hey, everybody. This is Tom Sega from Duluth Pack, and this is the premiere episode of Leader of the Pack, Duluth Pack's podcast. And today I have with me Ryan Hansen, sales manager for Duluth Pack. Hey, it's great to be here. It's great to have you, Ryan. Long time no see since our offices are about <laughs> six feet from each other. It's been about two hours. Yeah, it's a long been, time. You know, I missed you. <laughs> and uh, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna have a really fun podcast as our our premiere. But we're gonna talk about the history of the company, the founder of the company, how the company evolved over a lot of years. Uh, you know, how old we actually are as a company. How in the heck did I get involved in this company? And uh, what do we see happening today? And what do we see happening in the future? And uh, so we hope everyone listens in and uh, we'll kind of kick it off with talking about the age and history of this company. Well, first of all, we're, one thing we're really proud of is we are the oldest canvas and leather pack and bag maker in the United States of America. Pretty cool thing, Ryan, because the only story like it, we're it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a business, you know, that's marketing gold, I guess you are the oldest and people go, well, you're, you're old. Well, so, you know, I've heard that before, but one of the things that you can say when somebody says, well, you know, so what you're the oldest is you, you need to know the things that this company has survived through over almost 140. We're in our 140th year now. So in, in December 12th, we'll be a 140-year-old company. A lot of things that happened in 140 years. Well, hey, thank you for the segue there, Ryan. And, uh, you know, just to name a few, I made a little bit of a list here. And think about this. The automobile was was uh, by founded by... You know, Carl Benz back in 1886, we were already four years old. The 1905 yellow fever outbreak in, in the United States. In 1908, the Model T, and we got a good story about oh, the yeah, Model T coming up here. Uh, because Duluth Pack was, uh, was uh, developed some products based around the Model T. Pretty revolutionary at the time. It, it was. You know, think about World War One. Penicillin, 1928. Wild. You don't think that that's that old. Yeah, we're older than penicillin. <laughs> and, uh, you know, World War II, the Great Depression. And there's some pretty cool stories around the Great Depression because nobody was buying anything then. Nobody had any money. And this company survived. And we'll talk a little bit about how it actually survived through the Great Depression. Uh, the Great Recession of 2008. <laughs> I got a lot of stories around that one. I, I guess I'd rather cry about them than, than jump up and down about them. Not the best of times. No, it definitely wasn't, especially when you uh, enter a company the year before that. Um, and then, you know, just recently, the global pandemic in 2020 and what what happened to Duluth Pack during then. And, and actually, we grew through the pandemic and you know, a lot of companies are really hurting and, and we found some very unique ways to grow through that. So uh, we'll kind of come forward with, with all that story and, and talk a little bit about that and the, and the founder and let's jump in. So 
there was this uh, guy named Camille Poyer, and Ryan and I know his name very well because we travel a lot together, a lot of trade shows, and and uh, we talk about the the history. So so we've huge, done huge selling point about our our gear. It is. Yeah, that's, that's what, one of the key tenets of what we talk about with our products. You know, he, he was the founder, and why did he found this company? Well, let's even go back a little bit further than that. So Camille Poyer was from up in the Montreal area of Canada, and he was a real entrepreneur. And, and he came down to the United States a couple different times, and then he came down, and he did some research. And, and where was there some business to be had? Because he was a cobbler. He was a, a bootmaker. Mm-hmm. Where was some there's some business to be had in the United States. And so he did some research and he looked at, found Duluth, Minnesota, right where we are. Which, what, what a random place to find, especially <laughs> at that time. Yeah, I mean, come on. How about going somewhere south of the Mason-Dixon where it was a little bit warmer? <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we can blame all this on Camille then. That's why we're still up here north, I guess. Um, but he did some research and found that Duluth, Minnesota, back in the day, per capita, was the wealthiest city in the United States of America. Isn't that crazy, thinking about Duluth, 1870s, 1880s, 1900s? I mean, home to the most millionaires per capita in the entire world? I is mean, it, how cra- what, what a crazy stat that is. People are probably going, yeah, right, you guys are full of it. Well, here's why there was so many wealthy people in Duluth. You had all this timber in northern half of minnesota still is a lot of timber in northern minnesota yeah i do my job of helping take it down <laughs> but uh you know yeah i'd love burning wood uh but we had the mines yep we had how do you get the timber and the ore to the great lakes where they were going to ship it so you had the shipping how yep. you get it here rail Road. so literally timber mines rail and shipping. When you had all these barons of industry that ran that stuff, that would have, you know, set up set up shop in Duluth, built nice big old mansions up here, uh, and then you had a lot of the you know blue collar folks, and that's what Camille Poy, a cobbler, was looking to make boots for a lot of those folks. Bingo, right there. And so he he made his way to Minnesota and, and uh, through train got to the Twin Cities, took a stagecoach about halfway from the Twin Cities to Duluth, which is about 150 miles. And pretty much the road ended there. So he grabbed all this stuff, and there's a trail between the Hinkley area, if you know Minnesota at all, and Duluth, and walked the rest of the way. And by the way, he walked on a bum knee because he had hit himself with an axe at some point <laughs> and, right, yeah. and uh, nailed himself pretty good. And so he was pretty gimped up the rest of his life from it. Um, and walked up here and started that first shop, left his family behind up in Canada, up in Montreal, and uh, came here, opened up that first boot, boot shop and got it running well. And, and uh, you know, back in the day, there wasn't, you know, you didn't just have your natural gas lines run. So how did you heat your place? You heated it with wood, right? Yep. And his first shop burned down. So not being a quitter, what does old Camille do? Builds another shop across the street. And actually, Ryan, you found were the first one uh, at the company to find exactly where those two shops were down on. Yeah, Superior took, a, took a little bit of research. My first couple of weeks here, I went up to the uh, UMD, the university here in town, and, and went through their archives and found out a lot, what, way more information than anyone would ever need to know about Duluth packing Camille Poye. But <laughs> pretty, pretty wild time back then. But yeah, found out where the original shop was, where the secondary shop was. And we have, yeah, we, we know exactly where both those places were, and they're within a block of each other. So what you're telling me is I'm just plagiarizing all the research you did. <laughs> but uh, 
So he, he, he rebuilt his shop across the street and lo and behold, a year or two later in the winter, guess what happens there, Ryan? Yep. Another fire. Bad luck with wood stoves. Yeah. He, uh, he needs to definitely go into a propane or natural gas or something. Yeah. Uh, but he, he was not a quitter. And during all this in the winter, you, you have to remember we're right on the edge of Lake Superior, the largest great lake, uh, largest lake in the world, actually freshwater lake. And, uh, so he bought a donkey and an old barrel and had a trailer and, or sled, and he'd pull it down to Lake Superior and fill it with water. And, and there was no running water at the time. This is 1870s, 1880s. He'd sell water to people. And, uh, you know, it, what a, what an entrepreneur. An and, industrious and, guy. Oh. I mean, just, I think that embodies just, you know, Minnesota, Northern Minnesota, you know, kind of the lifestyle and everything too, just industrious, you know, strong, strong folks. Exactly. So not not sitting still on his laurels, you know, he was, uh, he had these sewing machines in his, his boot shop and everything. In 1882, he gets commissioned to build a pack sack, which he called the Poyer pack sack. And what was this going to be used for? Well, if you look back at when the mining industry in Minnesota was really starting to take off, um, that's exactly when it was. And they had the ore, they had the timber. We talked about it. How do they get it to Duluth to ship it out? rail but the rail wasn't in place so that's literally the 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 founding of this company was around the timber cruisers getting out there where they'd put everything they had on their back in a pack sack and head out for what i don't know was it a week a month you know the whole summer everything had to be with them to go out and shoot the lines and do the timber cruising to get all this rail between the iron range and here and uh, that was the founding of the company. And he actually patented that bag on December 12th, 1882. Yep. And uh, pretty, pretty cool we story. Still, still make the same bag too, to this day. We do. Yep. Now we argue whether it's the number two or it's the number yeah, three. Yeah, there's, there, there's or... no specs on the original <laughs> patent that we can find, but yeah, it's definitely an envelope style uh, canoe pack. I'm going with the number two. I think you're probably right. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to the old number two pack, which we still make, like yep. Ryan said. So uh, if you want to get one of the originals, that's that's the bad boy. That's to get. as original as it gets. Exactly. Um, and so he builds this pack. They start making these packs. He starts making other products. And there was another company in Duluth out at uh, 1610 West Superior Street. It was called Duluth Tent and Awning Company. And fast forward to 1911, Camille Poyer sells the pack part of his business to the Alveson brothers at Duluth Tent and Awning. Five brothers mm -hmm. uh, that ran that company. Um, four after a while, because I did read some of the, the uh, annual notes and they ousted one of their brothers. Didn't say why, they just ousted them. And uh, anyway, they, they, they bought the pack business from Camille Poyer and 1610 is where we still manufacture everything. So from 1911, fast forward, 2021, we're still building everything. Yeah, in the 100, same 110 shop. years in the same factory. Yeah, it kind of looks like it too, doesn't pretty, it? Pretty wild. It's a pretty cool old building. Got the exposed brick, all of that stuff, hardwood floors, you know, creaky floors. Pretty cool. Yeah. Stepping back in time. You know, you've given a lot of tours and you give tours mm -hmm. in that building and people are like, you got to be kidding me. You're still making here. This is so stinking cool. Well, just so handcrafted. I mean, everything, you know, from, from hand cutting the canvas to hand cutting the leather to hand sewing everything. 
you know, people think that it might be automated, but it's not. A, I mean, it's not automated. It's a handcrafted process. Well, we do have sewing machines. That's true. Yeah, we got, we got electric sewing machines. Yeah, now. not not the foot pedal ones. Yeah, those old, old trellis machines. We actually have one of those upstairs. No kidding. Up in the the office upstairs. Really? Yeah, in That's Mark's wild. office. And uh, but we. It's it's just like a, a blast into history when you do come in the factory because it is. I mean, we've been in the same building since 1911 building all this stuff. So, you know, he sells it. The Alveson brothers have it. They literally, literally run the business for 50, 60 years. Then it changed hands a few times. And we fast forward and, and a lot of people ask, how did you get there? I mean, because I didn't, you know, go to college and, and all of a sudden it's like, you know, I, I really want to be in the sewing trade and i i was a road warrior not unlike what you are today ryan i'm familiar with the model yeah and uh you kind of become a little bit persnickety about your travel how you set up your luggage and pack and your your shaving kit and how you at a hotel you lay everything out so that you don't leave things behind going from city to city yeah, and, you're as efficient as possible yeah. when you travel with your spouse or kids now it's <laughs> they almost disrupt your style hey let's can i get a separate hotel room and just <laughs> let them have one and i'll get a different one i'll set it up as if i'm on a work trip uh but here's here's the weird deal for me is i was on the road a, a tremendous amount and i just got sick and tired of all these bags falling apart and these were expensive bags and i had a pretty bad experience in the old detroit airport um where a handle fell off a bag the bag hit the floor the zipper broke i was all ticked off and it was only like six months old and i was like i i I need to find a good bag briefcase. I'm sick of spending good money on these. And a friend of mine said, well, you need to go down to Duluth pack. They build the greatest stuff ever. And I knew about the canoe packs, but I didn't know at that time that they were making, you know, luggage and, and, you know, all this other stuff and briefcases. And, and so I went down and I bought a briefcase, which I know, you know, because you've seen me carry it for a lot of years now. Number of years. And that thing has been everywhere with me. And I believe it's, 28 to 30 years old, somewhere in there. I can't even remember anymore. And I'm still carrying the same briefcase. Like, who does that, right? But the well, you, you wore out one side of it, too, from going in and out of overhead bins. I did, from traveling so much, wearing it in and out of overhead bins. I literally wore through 15-ounce uh, canvas. <laughs> and uh, that, but that takes a lot of work to do that. I got it repaired. I, I knew some people. <laughs> and uh, so I bought a, th that bag, and and all those years ago. And then I bought more and I bought more. And I remember my kids were young and they're in grade school and me being a cheapskate. That's like, well, I'm going to buy you a backpack so I don't have to replace them every year. And so I brought them down to the Duluth pack store, made them pick a backpack. They, it was like they were drowning in it. It was, I made them get the large standard day pack because then they'll go to college with it. Yeah. And they're in grade school. And it's like, well, you look like, you know, it's way too big for you. It's like, that's right, but you'll grow into it. Don't yeah. worry about it. Choose your color wisely and because uh, you're going to carry it a long time. You'll have it a bit. And believe it or not, both my kids are out in the working world, have been for several years, and they're still using the same backpacks they've had since grade Pretty school. wild when you talk about year over year, too, just how, how inexpensive it is when you factor out using it for 20 plus years. Yeah, exactly. And so I bought those and then I bought a bunch of gun cases and then overnight bag, then shaving kits and all this. And I saw Duluth Pack at a trade show, and I, I walked up to them, uh, some people from the company, and I said, do you guys want to sell your company? And they were kind of like, hey, get out of here. And, well, you're in sales, Ryan. Yeah, it just means 
I haven't done my homework just means <laughs> I'm going to keep bugging you a bit. Uh, pretty much. And uh, I wouldn't go away. And, and uh, four years later, I got in front of the right people, which were Bob and Kevin, which are brilliant business people. And, and uh, they, they had the business at the time and we sat down and it was great. It's just such a great story because we were going to have a meet and greet and they're kind of looking at me like, you know, why do you, why are you so passionate about this business? You don't even own the thing. And, and what do you love so much about it? And we sat down to have a meet and greet. And literally this was like eight o'clock in the morning at a holiday Inn restaurant. And at five o'clock that night, we had formed up and, and written notes on, on uh, napkins there, believe it or not, we wrote some notes on napkins, but we had a notebook there that we had, Hey, a partnership formed up on how does Tom become a partner in this business? And, I had a vision that this thing could be so much bigger and better than it was at the time. And, and, uh, so literally within about six weeks, uh, I walked in the door, uh, on April fool's day, uh, 2007, which is a pretty, pretty interesting day to start owning a business and an interesting year. Uh, yeah. Who was the fool then? Right. Um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, and, and the, the company had been struggling a little bit and we worked hard to turn it around and, and Mark, uh, our CFO, my business partner, he came in later that year and we just worked hard and, and just really turned over every stone trying to find just any inaccuracies, anything with the business that we could fix before we even tried to grow it. And then we started getting into growth mode and 2008 was looking to be a banner year. It was going to be a great year for us. And uh, as everyone remembers, September 15th of 08 with the, the, the stock market, you know, went down the toilet and, and uh, we struggled too, because, you know, we have these core values at this company, which I know you're ever so aware of and and the employees of this company are so aware of the the core values of this company ryan and you know the number one core value we have is quality starts and ends with quality it it does and and you know i mean anyone at this company can call out any product and production for any reason and nobody gets in trouble we just refuse to sell a product that's not quality yeah and when you're handcrafting it it you rest assured you're going to make a quality product that's our number one core value. Our number two core value is we're, we build a premium product. We're in that premium market. And that's, that's where it, it was tough during the 2008-2009 recession because a lot of people weren't buying premium products then because people were tightening their belts. A lot of people didn't have money at the time. People didn't have jobs. And you know what? We're a premium product. And, well, and as a premium product, I mean, I always say you get what you pay for. I mean, honestly, you know, you're, you're going to pay a little bit more for a Duluth Pack product, but what you're getting is 139 years of manufacturing experience. You're getting 139 years of, you know, and you'll touch on it here in a minute, but our lifetime warranty on craftsmanship and hardware. I mean, you get what you pay for. You know, when we say lifetime warranty, you know, on craftsmanship and hardware, it's not like we've been around for five years, been around for 139. We get bags back over 100 years old that we'll put you know, and throw a couple new straps on it and repair. So it's not, you, you get what you pay for. You, you totally do. We don't apologize for that whatsoever. No, absolutely it's one not. of our core values. Why would you ever apologize for a core value? Our third core value is made in America. They're made right here, right next door to the marketing 100, building. 100 feet from us right here. 
Exactly. Uh, literally, my next meeting after this podcast is to, to run over to the factory. Um, and it's right next door. So made in America, made by our employees right here, 1610 West Superior Street, Duluth, Minnesota. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. And the last one, you already hit on it, lifetime uh, guarantee for all craftsmanship and hardware. And, you know, Ryan, you and I talk a lot about this when we're on the road traveling together and uh, we're in trade show booths about the, the four core values, but that lifetime guarantee. Because people are like, well, that's kind of a bad, you know, business model because you sell somebody one and, and they're not going to, you know, need to buy anything else. Um, we have 8,000 SKUs. We make 350 different products. No, we got something else. It's to, pretty, pretty, to pretty sell. broad, broad product line. You know, and with those 350 products, Tom, I mean, you know, we, you talk about us being the original canoe pack manufacturer, and that's certainly how a lot of people know us. And, you know, from all over the country, whether people were at, you know, YMCA camps or Boy Scout camps for carrying our products, um, a lot of people know us for that. But what a lot of people may not know is that we also, you know, we work in lifestyle products. We do shooting sports. We do purses, totes, um, duffels. We do briefcases, backpacks. We do a little bit of everything, small accessories. Our accessory line continues to grow every year. So we have a lot more products than just our canoe pack products too. And I think that's a lot deeper than a lot of people believe that we are. You know, I mentioned earlier that my first product was actually a briefcase it was for traveling and it wasn't a canoe pack. And, uh, but a lot of people know us for that. And, and like you just said that we go a lot deeper, we go a lot wider than, than what that is. But, you know, you have some pretty cool stories, Ryan, on some old packs that come in this place for repairs every year. Yeah. I mean, we see a handful of packs, probably two or three a year that come in that we, we know are over a hundred years old. Um, we can trace it back based on the tags on it to being handcrafted by uh, Camille Poyer pre-1911. And we know that because of the tags that he put on all the bags that he made. So it's pretty wild to see some of these old packs come back that'll be well over 100 years old, handcrafted by Camille Poyer in that 29-year period that he owned and operated the company between 1882 until 1911. Um, and a lot of these just need a couple of new straps. And, and some of them have really cool stories too, where it's you know, it was bought by the great, great grandpa or great, 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 great grandpa and, and passed down, or, you know, it hangs at the family cabin over the fireplace. And, uh, you know, you just talk about a lot of these old packs that come back. I mean, we see packs come back too, that will have patches on it from all over the world that have kind of become an extension of people where, you know, it comes back for repair and, and, and they say, you want to know what, I don't care if it costs money. I don't care what it costs to fix it. Just fix it. You know, this bag has been with me through Europe. It's been with, through you know, with me through South America, through Asia, and it's an extension of that person. And, and to work for a brand and for a company that, that people care about and, and become so invested in, in the product, um, and it becomes an extension of themselves and who they are and their experiences, really transcends just selling a product. You're not selling a product anymore. You're not buying a product. You're buying an experience. You're buying something that will be with you for a really, really long time. And to be able to hear some of those stories come back from Tracy, who, who works in our repair department, uh, it's pretty amazing and pretty powerful. It is. And, you know, after that, I want to buy a bag from you. <laughs> That's a pretty good sales job you're doing there. You know, but one of the things that you mentioned about the history of it and, and all of that really also goes back to the family. And I know you have a story and I have a story from this spring, but you have one from like seven years ago where the great, great granddaughter of Camille Poyer came yep. and visited and you gave it to her. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Being able to show uh, the family around people that were directly related to Camille Poyer. And showing them around the factory where we have some pieces in the factory 
that likely date to, to darn near the time that he was here. I mean, there's one piece in our riveting department that we have a hard time finding parts for because it's over 100 years old. We have to get parts machined for it if it ever breaks, but it, it still works fantastically. So, I mean, being able to show folks around, you know, that we're directly related to him in, you know, the factory that when he was still alive, we were making bags there. It's pretty, pretty surreal experience. You know, and fast forward to this spring, 2021, uh, Sue, who happens to be the great-great-granddaughter also of Camille Poyer and her husband, Dan, actually traveled here from Oregon. And I was very fortunate to spend a day with them. And we toured all the buildings here. Uh, they went crazy shopping down at our retail store in Canal Park. <laughs> And uh, one of the cool things, and I know you were part of that, Ryan, as well as marketing, uh, to find Camille Poye's gravesite. We were able to bring his great-granddaughter up to his gravesite. His, he's there, Camille Poye, his wife, and we, what we believe is his brother. And uh, my wife and myself, after you guys found this, have gone up and, and really taken care of the gravesite. It had been a little bit of disarray for a few years. And, and to pay some homage to the founder of this, this historic company, it's, it's pretty fun and pretty cool that they're also the families reaching out to us and, yep. and they want to extend that hand to us and, and we get to know them. And from there, we're talking about the history, but what about the future? Well, where are we today before we go in the future? And today we're super strong. And, you know, you think about the pandemic last year, Ryan, you went through it with not only your family, but also with Duluth Pack, your family here. And we had to pivot because we had to lay everybody off. We were deemed non-essential. And that was horrible. That was brutal. But I can tell you as a company, we're stronger for it. And here's why we're stronger for it is that everybody rolled up their sleeves, everybody dug in. You were working shipping days in and days out. Our, our, our yep. website was still running, and we had people from shipping working over here in production, and Ryan steps up and says, well, teach me how to ship. I'll go learn how to ship. And I got, we, got pre, we got pretty fast at it, a couple of us did. Yeah. So and, and just watching all the people over, you know, we, we were training people on how to sew. I mean, you know, you, you were training people literally from where do you, you know, where's the on switch? Um, to, to being able to sew medical gowns because that, that's what made us an essential business. We did, and we pivoted, got everybody back within two weeks, and we're going crazy making making uh, medical gowns. Uh, my part of the, that was we were running machinery so hard that I became like Joe Repairman here and had to uh, Google up all kinds of things on and and YouTube's on how to fix these jukey sewing machines, which surgeries. I'm sure you hated. And uh, yeah, I love tinkering, so <laughs> it was it was kind of fun, and I learned a lot about the machinery that gets used here every day after a lot of years. Um, and one fun story was uh, one of our sewers, Julie, early on, and she that day her her task was make as much waist belt as you can make for these medical gowns. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, she made four miles of, of waist belt. That's an unbelievable amount. That's a lot of gowns. That's, that, that's further than my house is from work. Like that's, that's, that's a long, that's a long distance. I remember that day because she said she was changing the bobbins as fast as she could change them. And she would just hold it on the floor and hold tension against it. And it would go through a folding machine and, and make waist belt. It was really fun, but we came together as a team and, and I know you were part of it. You saw it. And that is making us a stronger company today moving forward because everyone got to know each other when the chips were down, when everybody had to just lock arms and work really hard together. And it didn't matter what you were doing. Everybody was participating. Everyone was doing something 
that was probably different what they than what they normally do around Absolutely. here. And we got it done. And and I can tell you we're stronger for it, we're better for it. And being American made, I think a lot of people right now are saying, you know what, I'm gonna support American companies. We're pushed to the limit right now in production. We're shipping everything made today, shipping today. Uh, we're having supply chain issues just like everyone else is on some of the incoming stuff um, and uh, trying to get things and get them timely. But you know what, working our way through it, working hard and, and getting everything out and, and growing our business. That kind of goes into where are we in the future? the future is really bright because we have this infinite store called a website, which we just built a new website and people are loving it. Um, we, it gives us a reach so far and wide to be able to sell through a website. We obviously have our coolest store in the world. If you ask me down at canal park, I still uh, can't get out of there without spending a boatload of money. Oh, it's, it's crazy. It's such a experienced store and such a fun store to go in. It's, it's all about experience and the cool factor and, and uh, it's a flagship store. And then obviously your department that you run yep. and you're, you're responsible for, and that is wholesale of all of our products to whether it's brick and mortar or whether it's private label. Yep, corporate customers, overseas, distributors. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were talking earlier, we don't even sit next to each other on, on airplanes uh, anymore because we travel so much together. And and, uh, and I remember a good story a few years ago. It was, uh, I, yes, I wanted to sleep. And uh, <laughs> yes, you obviously have a baritone voice and wanted to talk. And you're It does resonate pretty well. A long way from me on the airplane. I remember having to text you to tell you if you could shush yourself because a whole bunch of us were trying to sleep well, on an overnight the, flight. The, the guy next to me wouldn't stop talking to me. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody put down as many uh, beers as that guy did on a flight. I think it was like 15 from uh, London to, <laughs> to New York. So that was pretty unbelievable. I think you were hanging right in there with the guy, but <laughs> well, I was maybe not going one for one, but uh, you know, I, that shouldn't be part of the future of the company. But you know, <laughs> that's that's your department, though. I mean, yeah. you're traveling all over the place, spreading the word and about the the brand, and Made in America resonates all over the world. The quality that comes out of being made in America, so our future's really, really bright. Mm -hmm. This podcast. This is our premiere podcast. Thank you, Ryan, for being on it. Pleasure to be here. Uh, but what can our audience expect? You know, we have so many cool people in the pipeline, uh, whether it's adventure people who have done some just crazy adventures. I There's mean, some pretty cool folks lined up. I can't wait to, to get this going and, and get some of those interviews going because I want to learn about what they did and what they were up against and some of the challenges they had. Um, also, we're going to have business leaders uh, on the podcast so people can learn from whether they were entrepreneurs, some of the struggles they had, some of the successes they had, maybe some of the travels they had, and they don't want to sit by you anymore on an airplane. So we have a great, uh, vast um, uh, a group of people that, that we're going to interview. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. We hope people enjoyed this one uh, the, as the, the premiere and um, and. You know, we're just going to keep continue to have some great people on and, you know, it's called leader of the pack. And that's what we want to do is, is have people who are the leader of their pack and uh, why they're the leader of their pack and, and, and how they became that and, and what that means to them. And so until next time, unplug from the indoors and recharge in the outdoors. Thank you for listening to another episode of leader of the pack. 
don't forget to rate this podcast. And we would certainly be grateful if you'd give us five stars. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow Duluth Pack on social media at Duluth Pack. And shop online at DuluthPack.com. Don't forget to support American jobs and buy American made.